our stories are being shared to and for our people. It's empowering the indigenous audience. It's empowering the indigenous community. It's lending a platform for those voices to be heard. There's something incredibly powerful and cathartic about seeing our stories told by our peoples. That's Kevin Loring of the Inklakapma Nation in British Columbia. He's the artistic director of the Indigenous Theatre at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa, and he's our guest on the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Thierry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly First Nations. So welcome and toao to the Akamemuk Podcast. Akamemuk is Cree, for you all persevere. Or in other words, keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and with community leaders. And this week, we're looking at the challenges of developing the Indigenous theater at the National Arts Center in the face of COVID-19. So we're very happy to have Kevin Loring as our guest, as well as being the artistic director of the Indigenous theater at the National Arts Center. He's an accomplished playwright, he's an actor, and a director. In 2009, he won the Governor General's Award for English Language Drama for Where the Blood Mixes. It's a play about the impact of the residential school systems across generations. So we reached him at his home in Ottawa. Dance, Kevin. Welcome to our Akamema podcast. Kukstam, National Chief. Really honored to be here. Awesome. Very glad that you could join us. So... Tell me about the evolution of Indigenous theater in Canada. Yeah, so Indigenous theater, right? I mean, honestly, we've been we've been telling our stories since forever, since time immemorial. Our stories come from this land. Our stories are of this land. You know, our stories, like they, they've been carried on and passed through generations and generations. And and the Europeans, of course, have their version of storytelling that sort of originates from the Greeks, and that tradition evolved in Europe. And we had our own version over here our own ways of, of telling stories. So in a, in a real sense, in a really true way, our, our indigenous theater is a continuation of that storytelling tradition. And of course, you know, colonization and, and the society we live in now, we also borrow a lot of those European experiences and those European venues and models and things like that and have evolved our own version of theater for our own purposes. And so mm-hmm. throughout the years, I mean, the very first play that opened the National Arts Center in 1969 was The Ecstasy of Rita Joe. Now it was written by a, a white man, uh, but it had a, a lot of input from Chief Dan George mm-hmm. and August Schellenberg. Uh, when I was working with Augie at the National Arts Center doing the anniversary production of The Ecstasy of Rita Joe, he was talking about how much he and uh, Chief Dan George contributed to that original production in 69. So the very first play that the NAC did and you know was sort of recognized as this what they call the seminal Canadian play was about uh, indigenous people in inner city like basically downtown Vancouver and the cycle mm-hmm. of poverty and the and the cycles of of trauma that exist uh, within the, uh, those those communities uh, for indigenous people in terms of the scene in this country of what theater has been the very what is what is known as the very first sort of quote unquote canadian play de- dealt with uh, murdered and missing indigenous women right mm-hmm. dealt with uh, the trauma that our communities have been facing and and with the real uh, the cycles of 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 violence and neglect and and systemic racism that our people are constantly having to deal with back in 1969 and so 
you know, as over the decades, our way of telling our stories have evolved. And, and to you know, back in the day, there was oh, there was no playwright, there were no indigenous playwrights, and not enough indigenous actors, and all this. And so those issues have been slowly and slowly been uh, addressed over the decades. And so we have like Thompson Highway, we have people like Marie Clements and and uh, Margot Kane and all these trailblazers um, who have been doing this work. The Turtle Gals back in the 2000s and 90s, uh, we have these really great companies and, and individual artists who've been trailblazing for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. To, so now we have a very healthy Indigenous theatre community across the country. Uh, yeah. There's still some deficits here and there, like we still have some some critical needs within the sort of human infrastructure, some behind the walls roles that we need to fulfill but uh uh it has evolved from sort of being like oh we can't we can't find enough artists to do fill these roles to you know we have a national uh theater department here at the nac mm-hmm. and there are companies across the country and a few spaces here and there and there's still lots of you know there's deficits within the ecology but for the most part you know there's a real healthy body of uh, really powerful indigenous artists out there in the community no, that's awesome. Even at the NAC, you have the English theater, you have the French theater, now the Indigenous theater. But what's unique about the Indigenous theater? Because the Indigenous theater never really had a national space, but it's there at the NAC now. Can you expand a little bit further about the uniqueness of, of, of Indigenous theater and, and why should we even care about Indigenous theater? Well, it's it's uh, Indigenous theater is, is really... Uh, our peoples, um, the many indigenous peoples across the country, the, those artists telling our stories, our way. So uh, what's really important to me uh, about indigenous theater is uh, story sovereignty. So what we do is uh, we're very, we have a very particular mandate, right? We'll, we'll only work and produce with, uh, or present work that is led indigen- by indigenous uh, artists. A lot of work out there that has maybe in, like, even like the Ecstasy of Rita Joe, the Ecstasy of Rita Joe in 69, white playwright, white director, indigenous cast. And you kind of go, well, is that an indigenous play? Well, no, it's written by a white guy, directed by a white guy. Uh, and so for us, what's really important is centering indigenous story sovereignty. And so, and and also to be representative as much as possible of the breadth of artists from coast to coast to coast uh, on this part of Turtle Island. And even around the world, like we, we've, we've had, uh, dozens of international indigenous artists this year in our opening season as part of conversations as well as uh uh you know scheduled into our season unfortunately some of those international artists didn't because the last two shows in our season didn't didn't get to go up on the stage because of covid uh but uh it's really important especially in this time you know when there's so much um uh, misunderstanding between communities, especially within, when it comes to indigenous folks uh, and the general settler population, these stories help bridge that gap of understanding and help br- um, bring folks into empathy with uh, the struggles that we face and the and the situations and and the you know the characters that we present and the the situations that we present on our stages. And it gives them an in that you know you don't get when you read an article, you don't get when you see the you know the TV. Uh, stories about us that you don't get uh, hearing, you know, even, uh, uh, you know, policy or speeches and things like that. What you get is a, a heart connection to the issues and the stories that we face every day. So it's really another vehicle to educate Canadians about our history, but from our perspective, 
told from our storytellers, right? For sure, that's a part of the, the Canadians getting getting our perspective. But a more important part from my perspective is that our stories are being shared to and for our peoples as well. So that it's empowering the Indigenous audience. It's empowering the Indigenous community. It's lending a platform for those voices to be heard. And, to you know, it's, there's something incredibly powerful and cathartic about seeing our stories told by our peoples. It's affirming to us, right? And I think like the dominant culture it's they see it every day all the time 24 hours a day on a thousand channels their story being reflected back to them and it's very rare that we see our realities and our stories reflected back to us as indigenous peoples and it's incredibly important i mean i'm i'm really i'm always really wary about the reconciliation word i always want like i always talk about uh, reparation and reclamation before you can have reconciliation and i think that uh reclaiming our stories and 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 uh, repairing our connection to those stories and our languages uh, is for me what the work is really about and what's way more important than the notion of reconciliation. Valid point. Now that you've been there and you've had Indigenous theater for a year at NAC, and and you touched on this a little bit, but would you say this expanded your audience? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this year from folks from Ottawa who, who have said, I've lived in Ottawa my whole life and I've never been inside this building. You know, uh, they've come to see the works that we have because it's uh, it's something that they're incredibly interested in or it's the way in which we've invited them because uh, we've had a number of, we've had a whole uh, series of events that are free. Uh, we have a community ticket. Uh, if you uh, show up to the box office uh, and you say, I'm Indigenous, you're automatically entitled to a $15 ticket for anything that Indigenous theatre offers. Uh, and so uh, that is a way to sort of break down the, the you know, the price point barrier um, mm -hmm. for a lot of our community members don't have, a, you know, they don't have $65 or $75 to spend on a ticket, but uh, they might have 15 bucks in their pocket that they, they could spare to see a show that we're offering that might speak to them. But we also have a ton of free, free events, you know, so we've, uh, I think a good way to put it is uh, it's a, we've been doing a lot of um, radical acts of invitation, right? Mm -hmm. the, the opening event in the September, like that, that big uh, month-long festival that we had, Mushkomo Indigenous Arts Rising, was a was a radical act of invitation to to invite the community into our space in a good way. Uh, and so we've had a, an incredible response. I think in that one month we had over fifteen thousand tickets that came. You know, mm -hmm. uh, people who bought tickets to come in and see the work in that one month just for Indigenous Theatre for Mushkomo. And all of our shows have sold really, really well. And we were looking forward to a, a really exceptional uh, season until we got cut short by COVID. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a good segue to my next question. So normally you'd be, you would be getting ready for an opening of a new season, but with COVID, what's the plan now? Yeah, so now, I mean, like theaters, we are, we're just nailed by this uh, pandemic. We, are, we will be, quite honestly, probably the last things to open uh, just because of the nature of uh the way that this disease operates uh, in closed spaces, it's really dangerous. And we are uh, a venue that specializes in mass gatherings. And that right now is just not safe. And so until there's a, there's a, you know, a vaccine or uh, whatever, we've been working pretty much constantly on strategizing on how we can get back into the building safely and what that means going forward. Uh, and so we've been, really active on there. The NAC has had this uh, uh, initiative called Canada Performs, 
that she was partnership with the uh, Facebook and uh, I think uh, RBC, a couple other um, Slate Music and, and a number of other donors have, have provided this. And this was really just a way to get money into artists' hands and to do use an online platform to get art into the community. And to a degree, it's successful. It's really successful for, it's more successful for music. Uh, it's more challenging for theater and things like that. So there's another initiative that we're working with English theater on called uh, Grand Acts of Theater, uh, mm -hmm. which is like for these sort of short, but uh, powerful theatrical public events uh, that we're commissioning um, across the country with uh, uh, through the NAC for companies to 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 do these events in their region or wherever for community and uh, to do it outdoors and in a safe way that takes all the considerations of COVID in. Uh, so we're trying to be innovative, you know, like I've got yeah. coming season, I've got some plans to try to do some innovative work around digital presentation, uh, maybe vir virtual reality. Uh, we're looking at the possibility of, of creating a show specifically for virtual reality, uh, which is really just again it's just experimental there's proof of concept to see how it works in this era but it doesn't it's not really that kind of solution isn't really practical right for a lot because you need the vr set to engage with it right so right <laughs> but but it's so, again but you're looking at it you look you're talking about virtual possibilities maybe some tours out to communities uh, well Tours out to communities are a challenge again, right? Because we don't want to be bringing COVID into the community. And so, uh, so it, it, at this, we're really, we have to be so, so careful because like, you know, I, I go home every summer uh, to my community and do, a, uh, and do a show with my community. I have an ensemble of like, you know, 40 community members from like little babies all the way to like elders. And those are my elders. And I, I, it would absolutely destroy me that if we brought, you know, if we traveled home and, and, and brought that into the community, it would be just devastating. I can relate to that. I missed my Sundance and I've, uh, I, I didn't want to be the one to bring out to those elders and knowledge keepers uh, COVID-19. Yeah. You know, so I, I missed and this is in 35 years. Uh, Sundance and the Cypress Hills have been going to and uh, participating and helping to organize and run. And um, but I, I can relate to that. Yeah. You know, we, we love our people so much. You don't want to be the one to bring in that. No. So but there are possibilities. So that's good. So now. Before COVID-19 hit, you got into your first full season of the theater, of Indigenous Theater at NAC. Think back to that year. What was your favorite moment in that year? What stuck out for you? I think the canoe, uh, journey down the canal and the opening ceremonies uh, where we blanketed our elders. Um, uh, it was just such a beautiful, powerful moment. Uh, it was, you know, we, we did a lot of consultation with the Algonquin Nation. Uh, we worked really hard to... to uh, to have their buy-in and, and their input and their participation. And it, and it went off amazingly. It was like, it was a really powerful, magical moment. You know, we did, we did water ceremonies and fire ceremonies and we did it in a really good way. And then we finished with a really beautiful elk stew feast. It was just delicious. It was awesome. It was, uh, I, you know, I had my family there, my mom and my uncles and aunt uh, came out to see it. And I had my elder, uh, Terry Alec, uh, he, he he came out and and supported me with a blanket ceremony and uh, with some of the events during the festival. So that I mean that whole festival was was probably that that whole month was the most scariest and exhilarating time that I've had here so far. It's been you know it was it was 
overwhelming. It almost killed us, but it was overwhelming and beautiful. <laughs> that sounds very special. That's it's, it's really it's good to describe the the special moment with the water ceremony, the fire ceremony, surrounded by your elders, knowledge keeping, blanketing ceremonies. It's fantastic to see that still happens for our people here. Yeah, and it was it's you know it's when you think about it, it's a it's a small it's a small but really important revolution for that space, right? Like the mm -hmm. NAC is a is a is a very uh, it's a space of a lot of pomp and circumstance at times, right? Like you think of the governor general awards or you think of like the, the galas that go on there. And so to do it from an indigenous perspective, right? Like to have, as Laurie would say, Laurie Marchand, the managing director who, who uh, leads the department with me, she would say drums before bagpipes <laughs> or no bagpipes at all. <laughs> well, that's one of the, 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 the next question I had was like, when we were just talking about it already, but the challenge is running an indigenous theater program in a colonial institution like NAC. What are some of the challenges? Sure. Uh, well, the challenges are, you know, kind of inherent. Like there's, it is the National Arts Center of Canada. And so uh, whenever uh, you bring indigenous artists into a space like that, that is a national institution uh, with a national mandate and very much about celebrating Canada, uh, and you have indigenous artists who have a very different perspective on what Canada is and the history here and, and what that dynamic is, it instantly uh, heightens all interactions, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And any kind of, any kind of negative uh, event or thing that could happen that could maybe set you off that maybe would in another circumstance might just be annoying, it becomes Canada versus, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It becomes so much more heightened. And so you, you really have to be very delicate uh, in for our you know and and very uh conscious and, pr mm -hmm. and protective of our artists and we bring them in because that that space can feel really daunting uh, at the same time it's it's an amazingly powerful platform uh mm -hmm. and it's there's nothing i've always said for for a long time uh for the years and years that i've been working there as an artist at the nac the, on the number of projects that i've been on i love doing theater a block from parliament hill I love doing indigenous theater a block from Parliament Hill because of the things that we put on those stages and the things that we say in those plays and the and the work that we're presenting and our languages being spoken and our issues being presenced and uh, indigenous bodies on those national stages. It reverberates in this town because those people who come and sit in the audience, they work in all these buildings, right? Like they work in all these government buildings and yeah. those stories resonate in there as they, in a way that is beyond policy, is beyond just like the bureaucracy that they have to deal with when they're engaging with us. And so that's really, really powerful and potent. But in any institution, there's always things that, that are annoying and get in the way or are just sort of the way that that institution works. And so you bring in an indigenous perspective and we have a totally mm -hmm. different perspective and way of seeing things and way of working. And it just, you just can't help but run into into friction, right? There's challenges. It's like even do First Nations people celebrate Canada Day? Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like, again, from our perspective, it's land dispossession. It's a genocide of the residential schools. It's colonization and the impact of the Indian Act and the list will go yeah. on. So that's what you've got to kind of address inside the NAC. Absolutely. And we feel that, right? Like, you know, uh, everyone's out there celebrating Canada and all I can think about is St. George's Residential School or the fact that I come yeah. from unceded territory and none of that has been addressed and the, the, the poverty in my community, right? And so I go, well, mm -hmm. and I, don't, I don't, you know, I'm not there to wave a flag but uh, uh <laughs> well like even as national chief i've had to come the point where i get that and then it's almost like uh we'll recognize it i, I think we we celebrate our resiliency 
as indigenous peoples. Yeah. You know, we're celebrating our resiliency that we're still here in spite of all we've we've come through, and then and we're gonna make Canada a better country. You know, by by recognizing all the the truths about the history. So yeah. we have a long way to to. We've come from a lot of resilient people, and we're gonna keep providing that hope for the future. Absolutely. And and what you're doing. Um, it provides a lot of hope for our people like at NAC with through the indigenous theater. Now, what surprised you most about your job you know, in the last year? What surprised you most about your job? Uh, what always surprises me is, um, and it's a funny because it's, it's a surprise, but it isn't a surprise, but I'm always sort of like, cause I'm here to do a job as an artist, right? I'm here to put art and, and artists on our stage. Uh, I'm always sort of taken back by the level of politics that are involved in what I do uh, at mm. the NAC as, a, as an Indigenous artist and, and telling Indigenous stories. And then, of course, in the, clear, the current uh, climate that we're in, in terms of uh, socially, right, like the issues that are that are front and center. And, you know, I've, uh, in my short tenure so far, I've only been here two and a half years, uh, you know, so I've had to weigh in on some pretty big conversations. I mean, like you get that it's a national platform. So of mm -hmm. course, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's the dynamics of the politics are always sort of like um, pretty intense. In Ottawa, surprise, surprise, there's politics. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not naive about, I wasn't naive about that coming in. I knew there would be politics, but it always sort of, uh, it's the, yeah, it's the, how much there is that was sort of like every issue is politics, right? Everything, right every on. point of engagement, there's political considerations. Right on. Well, listen, I know, uh, like we, we've talked about the importance uh, of the Indigenous theater and something that we're always talking about, the importance of our languages and our traditions and our ceremonies. And not only performing arts, but helping us get through COVID. Do you have any thoughts like, how important are those things to the performing arts or even helping us deal and get through COVID-19? Yeah, language is, is really key. And for us, uh, it's been a real part of our, uh, like even in our first season, we we have no qualms about presencing Indigenous languages on our stages. And not even, you know, we had, it, you know, we had the Inikaktuat, um, which is the Inuit circus piece. And we had Inuktitut um, on stage, but we didn't have, uh, and we, without uh, surtitles. So you would just hear the language, and uh, those who didn't speak in Nuktitut, you know, they would just have to infer what was being done through the action, and and you know it worked. You don't really need the surtitles because the action was so clear, and the spectacle was so fantastic. Um, I think that uh, language, like theater in particular, and and art, is a really great way of um, a really powerful way of retaining and reclaiming and uh and you and a really powerful language tool um when you see work that engages with indigenous language it adds context to what's you know to the spoken sound and the feeling of those languages you know like mm -hmm. it's one thing to you know to be in a language class or to be very you know there's words some of us who maybe aren't fluent in our language but we have it you know piecemeal to hear it in context it it really opens it up right like i i work in uh in Tlikat Mukshin, uh with my community work uh and in, in my plays they all feature some scenes at prayers or spoken things or slang or uh from back home that is in Tlikat Mukshin. and um i i think it's just a really potent uh 
teaching tool. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's just important to hear our languages, you know, to hear them on a national stage is is important uh, to to keeping them alive, because those artists have to rehearse it, right? Those, they have to, the director has to understand it, those artists have to understand it, and then they have to speak it, and they have to speak it as fluently as possible. And so that in itself requires, you know, you either are a fluent speaker, or you have to make that leap as an artist. And I think that's that helps the language to keep living and to share it in an audience. It helps that audience to hear the rhythms and the sounds and the, the texture of our languages. That's even challenging because in Canada, we have over 60 First Nations languages, right? Oh, yeah. So there's a big challenge yeah. to, to try to uh, look at adopting. And that, again, from our uh, perspective, that's why we focus on revitalization of our languages as a key to our identity as uh, nations and, uh, and self-determination. So it's good. And again, linked into the indigenous theater, linked into that all helps to promote, revitalize and bring back that life, that spirit in our language. Yeah, I think I think we had like something like 13 or 16 indigenous languages on our stages this year, this season. And in the building itself, we had uh, dozens of international indigenous artists who were speaking their language in the space as well. So, you know, we had a room of like 68 or 70 some odd indigenous artists from all over the world, across Turtle Island. Uh, and everybody doing their all their their protocols, and you know it took like six hours. But everybody going around doing their their greetings and their intros and protocols and stuff. It was really powerful. That's awesome. The seeds seeds been planted is going to spread out across Turtle Island. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. The um, I I know now with COVID nineteen and everything else and the budgeting. Of course, everything needs resources, fiscal resources. Uh, to operate and go forward. And I see that the federal government's given the NAC National Arts Center about $18 million for COVID relief. What does that mean for the uh, for your program or for the NAC overall? Well, it means that, I mean, we've been working, like the, lots of places have been shut down, but we've been working steadily throughout the show. I haven't been shut down at all. I've just been working from home. So uh, we were working uh, really, really hard um, uh, delivering the Canada Performance Platform uh, for artists. And so these kinds of things, it means that going forward, we can do programming. We can still operate. We can still uh, keep the departments running. Um, albeit, you know, there, there are some folks who are not going to be able to, to, you know, continue on uh, just because we are in a, in a position where uh, the building is um, not bringing in any any ticketed revenue. Uh, any of our, you know, we're, we're on any given week, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of events going on, and every one of those is bringing in revenue. The parking lot is closed, which brings in revenue. Food and beverage department is locked down, other than like the the balcony out there on One Algon. Um, and so the building is is kind of in uh, a survival mode, right? Like it's just trying to 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 sort of get through this uh, this terrible time. And so this money just allows us to to keep keep operating. Uh, as much as possible underneath underneath this, uh, this these COVID conditions. And uh, so it's a really, it was very vital that we got that money. If we didn't, it would be in some real serious, the building would be in some serious trouble um, and a lot of folks would be uh, laid off. Um, so this just this, this keeps us afloat. Um, it's a lifeline right lifeline, now in light yeah, of COVID. That's right. It's a lifeline. You know, Kevin, in light of the... Um, Everything we talked about, all the challenges at, at NAC with the Indigenous Theatre, in light of the challenges with COVID-19 going on, what provides you hope here going into the future with all those challenges we just described and talked about? I think what's really, um, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a terrible time, but it's, it's also a time where we've had to all take the time to reflect. Uh, 
we've all been in in you know, we've all had to sequester down we've all had to isolate we've all had to to you know get out of our usual uh rhythms and the things that we take for granted and, and what this time has really shown is uh you don't know what you've got till it's gone right like we take we take for granted being in community we take for granted um gathering together for events and for celebrations and it's really highlighted how important art is in our life um the amount of response that we've gotten back from even just you know in this time where we're all being shut down and having to stay home to have these amazing artists from across uh turtle island being able to present their work even in this it's not the best way of doing it through digital through your screen rather than being live but it's something and it helps us feel connected uh, i also think that with the, the the current social climate right now there's so much uh there's so much strife and 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 change and uh and stuff that's going on and i think it's a really transformative moment right now and i think that we have an opportunity to really look at the institutions uh, not just the cultural institutions, but all of our institutions, and to really examine and say, you know what, these institutions were created in the last century, right? They were built in the last century, or and now we're in this new century, and these old institutions are not actually uh, functioning in the way in which the society needs them to. And now it's time, I think, to go back to all these institutions and do a total like reboot. What is it? What mm -hmm. is what does it mean to? to exist in this century with these values and this set of uh, priorities versus the old century's priorities. I think we're, you know, we're in, you know, 20 years into a new century and, and I still feel like we're in the post-World War II hangover still. I think now we're in a new century, we need to re-examine those institutions and I think that we need to indigenize them. I think that every single one of the federal institutions in the country should have like an indigenous understanding and component to them, indigenous people working in them. Uh, you know, and all the theaters as well. There's a lot of conversations being had right now about the exclusion of uh, BIPOC artists and, and, and folks within the alt cultural arts sector. Uh, and how do we reverse that? Um, how do we, how do I, how do we open up our cultural spaces? So they're not just white spaces that they are, that mm -hmm. they are inclusive and that they are welcoming to all communities. And so these are massive questions that, that, uh, we are we're really i think at a time where we need to address them and wrestle them down to the ground and and and, and come up with uh, new solutions well, i think that's a great way to provide that hope that there's a hope for change and uh, opportunity to everybody's using these words build back better right you know there's a, an opportunity to rebuild all these institutions you just talked about uh with through COVID 19 that doesn't always have to be the same old same yeah. old that's a great opportunity to to build back and indigenize things from another first nations perspective so that's a great way to to uh, close off our, our podcast and uh, i really want to thank you uh, kevin for sharing your energy your time your thought and for all the good work you're doing over at the nac with the indigenous theater so kevin loring thanks so much for coming again to the alchemy podcast cooks chum thanks for having me oh much so i want to thank all of our listeners listening into this episode of Akamemuk. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, give us a rating, and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. <laughs>